Welcome back to another edition of the Tuttle Daily Podcast. This is an interview that I've been looking forward to for the past week, uh, as soon as my producer told me. And uh, I'm big into comedians, and, and I'm glad I'm doing this one, because the more and more I dig into this comedian's life, I, I, I love everything he's been doing. On the line with me right now is comedian Jonesy. Jonesy, how are you, buddy? Hey, Tuttle, I'm doing okay. I mean, as good as a comedian can, can be doing during a pandemic. Uh, yeah. You know, my, of course, my live performances have pretty much come to a standstill. But uh, I'm doing some other things to keep my comedy chops uh, well-oiled and, and zooming along. So it's, I'm doing okay right now, despite everything. How about yourself? I'm doing well, man. Let, let me ask you this. I, I, I've, I've talked about this before. Do you think comedians, because I've noticed this when it comes to radio, can you get out of practice? Can you get rusty like an athlete if you don't oh, do it? Yeah, absolutely. You can get rusty uh, like an athlete. Uh, you know, timing, as you know, is so crucial to comedy. And that's what can really be thrown off if you haven't been on stage doing stand-up in a while. It's your timing could be thrown off for a bit. I've been, you know, if you've been doing it as long as me, which is like 14 years, 15 years or so, uh, I'm getting back on stage. Of course, I won't be nervous because I'm just kind of beyond the nerves factor. But for sure, because I haven't had a back and forth dialogue with a crowd, and it is a dialogue, you know, the comedian spits out the jokes, the audience uh, responds with their reaction, be it laughter or whatever. It is a dialogue. And if you, have, if you haven't had that dialogue in a while, you, I think you will be a little bit rusty with the timing. Uh, most comics anyways, I'm sure there's some exceptions to the rule. I'll bet, you know, Dave Chappelle could just do it, you know, in his sleep. So oh, yeah. I, I think some of us not being on stage for a few months, I think it, we will get a little rusty for sure. Let me, uh, all right, so I'm, I, you bring up other comedians. Uh, when you get into comedy, of course, you got to be into comedy because, like, I, if I had to compare it, it is kind of a little bit like radio. It's a, it's a tough type of field where everybody is competitive. I'm sure it's a very cutthroat type business as well, too. But what were some of the comedians that you were interested in when you were growing up, like, who were some of the people you looked up to and you're like, I can do that? Well, of course, I looked up to Chris Rock big time. He was yeah. really he was really kind of hitting his stride when I was a kid. And uh, so, you know, listening to his CDs and whatnot was like a, a thrill. And, and it was very risque, you know, for me I, that I hadn't really heard somebody talk like that, quite like that. Uh, but the, the real comedy special that really sort of catapulted me into becoming interested in, in it as a craft. And I think to this day, it's, it's just a masterpiece and probably hands down my favorite comedy special is the Dave Chappelle special called Killing Them Softly. Yes, 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 yeah. yes. That was something my friends and I really passed around a lot and quoted a lot. I mean, more so than any other comedy special was that special. Everybody was quoting it in my circle. And I mean, we all had it memorized, all the jokes, the whole damn thing. And that really, to me, got me interested in, in stand-up as an art. Um, and, and of course, uh, I, you know, I probably would have never even tried it if it wasn't for my roommate in college who, who dragged me to a comedy open mic to, to watch him do it. And so I got a glimpse into sort of the, the underground of it, the beginnings of it, which is if you haven't ever been to a comedy open mic, it's something to see for, for sure. Oh, <laughs> uh, and easy uh, here. Oh, hello. You're cutting out there. Improv here. Oh, can you hear me? I'm sorry. Hello. Uh, yeah, I lost uh, you there for a sec. All right. So, so what I was saying is uh, we're lucky enough here in Orlando to have an improv, a really, really good improv. And a lot of big comedians come in here. And we're very fortunate to see some pretty big names come in. Um, what is one of the best cities that you've performed in? And what, what was one of the worst ones? And that you were just like, oh, the crowd's not into it. Or they were just quiet the whole time. 
Sure. I'll, I'll give you some uh, strange ones that you, you probably won't hear spoken about. The, the worst, one of the worst cities I've performed in is, uh, well, is Singapore, uh, mm-hmm. which, is, which is an extremely conservative country. This is a lot a of lady boys there, right? A lot of was there, were there any lady boys that came to the show? No, no, not too many, not too many. Uh, my gripe with Singapore is how conservative they are. Uh, you know, drugs are highly outlawed. You know, you can't they'll, even they'll kill you, right? Like I, they, they will, they will kill you for sure. They are that strict with it, and and also uh, sexuality is uh, is a bit. Suppressed there. Uh, public displays of affection could get you a ticket as well. This is a very uh, stifled culture. The government is very, very much uh, overseeing them with a heavy hand. Uh, you know, it's not. We're not talking Nazi Germany here or anything like that. Yeah. Not even, not even really communist China, but in that direction a little bit, much more so than you'd be accustomed in the United States, where we really. You know, we have so much more freedom to speak uh, with, with, you know, however we like about really any subject. Over there, this shit is really taboo. And I noticed <laughs> on stage talking about sex, sex and drugs, the crowd really, I could just feel their buttholes puckering up. They just They're really, like, ooh, ooh. They didn't know where to laugh because they were afraid if they laughed, they might get thrown in the gulag as well. A hundred percent. And you could actually see them looking at each other because the stuff, uh, although some of it might be funny to them, they really kind of looked at each other as if to say, are we are we allowed to laugh at this? Are we are we allowed to show a public appreciation of this kind of speech? So that was a that was a a bit uh, of a challenge. And even, you know, even the jokes that kind of land is they they just they weren't the kind of rowdy crowd that, you you know, you'll typically Get if you're doing well. Can I ask how do you even start to begin to book a gig in Singapore? Do you do you have an agent? Somebody just say, or or do you do all of your own stuff? Well, I did my own stuff for that. I happened to be going over there already, so uh, I looked into it. I'm like, while well, I'm over there, what what do we have here? Of course, they speak English. Um, you know, that's the official language of Singapore. So I. I assumed there'd be comedy in English, and of course there was, and, and there was lots of it. There's a comedy club there, and there's a lot of independent shows going on as well. There is a comedy scene there, so uh, it was pretty easy to reach out and get a hold of these people through social media and whatnot. And people are thrilled in other countries to get American comedians. Yes. They just they just love it, so they really welcomed me with open arms over there, and I got plenty of bookings and made you know I made money over there as well. Now. I, I, I'm very interested because I, I've, I've talked to a lot of comedians as they've come into the studio because of the improv here. Um, what, there, there's a going theme that you have to have a horrible childhood or be one of those kids that got picked on or beat up as a young kid or a young adult. How was your life growing up? Were you a loner? Um, I'm I, I'm just kind of curious to see if the theme that I get from most comedians that that's the case. Uh, for me, I, you know, there were some snags in my childhood. I come from a poor background uh, and, you know, I, I had a missing father figures, uh, yeah. a, re- a replacement father figure who did an OK job, though. Uh, so I was lucky in that. I don't look to my childhood although being low income and kind of struggling in those sorts of ways uh i don't look at that as as being a huge obstacle for me in in life i don't look at that and go oh what was me i had it rough although compared to a lot of my peers yeah i i did uh i don't think that's what makes me a comic i think for me and and i think this goes for a lot of people who have some irish blood in them uh I think I'm a I'm a born storyteller, and I think it's the Irish part of me. Uh, I, yeah. think the, I think the Irish are the best storytellers in the world, and I think there's something in us that makes us want to run our gums in front of other people, get some laughs, take the piss out of ourselves, tell a story. <laughs> I, 
I think it's I think it's the Irish storyteller in me. See, I know that you are definitely a true Irish person because a lot of people taking the piss. That's that's one of those things that yeah. that people from the UK <laughs> love to use. So I love it. I love um, it too, and that's why I whipped it out. I, I, I was hoping uh, somewhere out there, a listener from from Ireland is like, "Oh yes, this guy." Yeah, he said taking the piss. He yeah. said taking the piss. I would see him live. <laughs> that's what I'm hoping. <laughs> Now, being Irish, I mean, does the stereotype fit? I mean, are you uh, do do you like to pound the uh, the beers every once in a while, or like because I used to? Uh, yeah, you used to. Yeah, I used to, and uh, lately, though, you know, uh, when I hit my my mid thirties, I I noticed that uh, I got this thing called uh, I don't know if you've experienced this, but this thing's called acid reflux. And, yes, uh, yeah. It it really. Uh, has kind of brought my beer drinking career to a complete halt. <laughs> oh, it sucks when you've been pounding them and you got a hangover. <laughs> and then the last thing on top of everything else that feels like you have lava trying to come up your throat. Correct. Correct. And, and nighttime is when it's at its worst. And so, uh, you know, for me, uh, I've kind of been limited to day drinking, which is, uh, you know, which, so it's, so I don't do it as often as I used to. I can kind of drink a little bit during the day. That whole the whole nightlife thing, going to bars at night, drinking at night. This whole thing had to be kind of uh, removed from my lifestyle, unfortunately, or fortunately, because you know it's not healthy. But and yeah, yeah I probably it's probably something I should have got a hold of anyways. But yeah, the acid reflux by default has made me kind of curb my drinking. Yeah, I I've been there, and and it. It really, really sucks because, um, you know, you would think like 30 is not that that old um, because I, I just turned 40. And, and it's weird how it's like that that little plateau where it's like you get to the top of the hill and it's like when you get to 30, you just start falling apart. <laughs> yeah. Nobody prepared me for this. I did not think. I look at it like, hey, we all live to about 80, 90 these days. So if you're lucky. Uh, I figure, uh, you know, it won't start breaking down till 50. Well, that's not, yeah. I mean, that, that, that's, that's just a laugh right there. You know, that's just total. <laughs> you know? Now, so, so if, if, and, and I don't want to like pigeonhole you, but like, what, what would you, if somebody came to you and said, what is your comedy style? I think funny is funny. And, and do comedians like being like put in a, in a little box to, you're this type of comedian, you're this type of comedian, or are there comedians that are just like funny is funny? Well, I think we're talking about two different things here. Uh, funny is funny, I think is a universal uh, principle that uh, uh, comics for sure uh, believe in. And um, that's something we've had to lately prove to other people. And, and we've had to sort of make this a mantra that people are hearing because of a some changes in our culture that are that are uh, that are occurring that are uh, let's just say these changes. Are you talking about the cancel culture? The cancel like, culture, has, the the PC culture, the uh, the easily offended culture, the professional offenses, offendees. These people, uh, you know, I think that's pushed us to a corner where we have to remind people that funny is funny, um, and uh, so that. For sure, we, we all can agree on is comics. Uh, the other thing is uh, being put into a, a box. Uh, I think some comics relish that uh, because unless you know, you're a prop comedian, and that's uh, not a dig. That's not a dig on Carrot Top. Carrot Top from Orlando, and he's one of the nicest guys I've ever met in my life. Oh, abs I hear stories that he is the nicest guy, and and how how can it be otherwise? This is an individual who who takes, who gets so much crap from artists. He's constantly told that he is unoriginal and, a, and what's called a hack in the business. And yep. yet, and he still maintains a sense of, of self-worth, a pride in what he does and doesn't speak ill of anyone. I mean, I think he's a tremendous human being. I've never met him, but just to see what he goes through, I, I, you know, my hat's off to this guy. And, and, and have I, you seen him? He is jacked. Like, uh, I knew him before he got, like, big, but not big, uh, you know, comedian-wise. I'm talking, like, 
Jack, the dude, I would not mess with Carrot Top one bit because the guy's got bigger guns than Hulk Hogan. Yeah, he's absolutely Jack, without a doubt. He's he's huge. Now, now this guy, and and for all for all his faults, or or I don't know if you call them faults, but for all of the things that have been said about his act, this guy makes a lot of money. He's very successful, and he seems to be happy in life. And so, who is winning here? Fucking Carrot Top is winning. <laughs> yeah. Now, now he's been doing that residency. I think it's that. Luxor uh, in Vegas, in yeah, yeah. I mean, sure. is that is that that? I mean, that's got to be a pretty great gig, as absolutely comedian, correct. Oh, because that, they pick yeah. you up, you're getting paid all the time. You yep. don't have to travel. I mean, that's a very lucrative gig. He probably makes hundreds of thousands, if not a million dollars a year. I'm guessing doing that gig. I, I'm that's my guess. I don't know. Yeah, but it is. You know, it's not Celine Dion residency money or like <laughs> yeah. that. But, you know, for a co- comedian to get a residency just in the first place is extremely rare in Vegas. And so you know that that's paying well. That is absolutely paying well. And, and regarding being put into a box, you know, one of the things that, that you can get out of that is, well, first of all, if you are put into a box, that means you know who you are. You've come to the place where you know who you are as an artist. Otherwise, I mean, you would not have been put into that box because you would not have been doing it your quote you have an audience, thing. right? It, yes. And, and uh, you know, to, so it's one thing, you know, a lot of comics on the way up, it, they struggle to find what's called their voice. They struggle to find who they are as a comic um, and w- their artistic voice as, as well. And if you've been put into a box, it's because you found your voice. It's because you've worked your ass off to find out what, what are my strengths and what are my weaknesses and what, what's the pedal I need to keep hitting to be successful at this? And then once you're there, now you can also find an audience. There's an audience that will respond to your box. There's an audience that likes that box. And that means you can sell tickets. That means you can get a following. So there's a lot to be, you know, there's, you can get a lot out of being put into a box. It's not such a bad thing, in, in my opinion. I think it's a, it's a way to find success. And I think as an artist, uh, you know, it should be a goal of yours to find your voice and to carve your niche in your in your artistry. Yeah. Uh, one of the other things I want to ask you about is um, get comedian, uh, being a, uh, a, a comic, getting to that point is one thing. But why is it that comedians, their end game, their end goal is to do TV or movie? Because. I mean, is are you looking at that as a platform to be able to promote what you love doing? Or is it that comedians want to walk away from the grind of touring all the time and, and, and put their roots down somewhere? Uh, I think it's a combo platter here. I think uh, some comics get into it because they have aspirations be actors. Uh, there's a lot of those kinds of comedians I've met in Hollywood since I've moved out here, more so than in New York, where I was for 10 years. Most of the comedians in New York just want to be comedians, stand-ups, and we did it every night, and, and we, re- we talked about stand-up, the craft of it. Uh, I came out to Hollywood, and I met a lot of comics, and you know, after a show, we're not talking about the craft of stand-up. We're talking about the audition they had that day, or the or the agent that they're trying to get, or the, the you know the television shows that they aspire to be series regulars on. Uh, there is a group of people who are just doing that, and so to them, it's just a stepping stone for some exposure until they get a, a you know a, an agent that can get them auditions for TV shows and, and, and whatnot. Uh, but there's also a change going on. I think the comedians that were aspiring to be that want to be comics, that want to do TV and film for exposure only so that they can raise their sort of stand-up allure, I think that's switching. I don't think they're getting the same exposure from film and TV that they used to. You know, you used to do uh, a late-night spot on Johnny Carson back in the day, and 40 million people see you, and now your career's off and running from that one TV spot. You've you've done a lot of Letterman, haven't you? I did Letterman once, uh, and I didn't do it as a stand-up. I did it. I played his son in a sketch. His son. That Harry is awesome as yeah. hell. Now, yeah. who who was the guy that um, 
now I don't think he was a comedian, but the guy, um, Elliot something, he was in Cabin oh, Boy. Correct. Or, uh, yeah. Uh, what was Chris, his name? Chris, Chris Elliot. Elliot, right? Yeah. Yes. Now he was brilliant. I don't think he did comedy like stand up comedy, but some of his humor was absolutely brilliant. Yeah, and, and he has a cult following for sure. Some of the stuff he's done. He's been on, a t- on TV shows too, like the, what is it? The World According to Chris or We Love Chris or something. I don't know. He had, yeah. a, he, he had a sitcom as well. He began by being a recurring character though on Letterman from my understanding. He played yeah, like, he did. I don't know what he played, like the guy under the stage or something. Yeah, I forget what yeah. it was exactly. Was that yeah, what it he, was? It, yeah, it was, it was. Yeah, it's some, some quirky character. Um, and then, you know, carved out a career from that kind of exposure. But back then, that's a lot of exposure. Now, no, now you get an appearance on Conan and, and no one's seeing it. I mean, no one's, gonna, no one's watching it live, really. You're lucky to get 2 million views of it on YouTube. Um, that whole landscape has changed. I think comedians now are looking to get more exposure uh, through, uh, through stuff online than, yeah. than a TV appearances. They're, they're looking to carve out a YouTube channel for themselves. Uh, you know, a, a perfect example. Uh, if you get on Joe Rogan, which is a podcast, yes, yes. You, will get, you will get way more exposure than you would being on any TV show or any in any movie. You well, know, it's you... about it's about how people are consuming their entertainment, their content now, because everything is on demand. I want to be able to watch it when I want to watch it. Nobody's going to tell me I need a I need to be in a certain spot at a certain time to consume this entertainment that they're wanting to give. Yeah, and I love that. I love that change. Uh, but then, of course, it's it's changed the, the kind of exposure that you get and the platforms that we're using. And there's new technologies, of course. The days of, like you said, sitting around and waiting for the comedian to come on. Carson, you know, you had to be in front of the, the TV at that moment uh, to see it. And, you know, that's that's gone. And I think that's, I think that's pretty cool. I, I like yeah. it. Like I like like the way that it is now. Yeah, I you too. You bring up Carson because uh, I was young. I, I do remember Carson growing up, but from what I've heard from a lot of interviews with old comedians is that Carson was kind of full of himself. It was kind of like all the comedians were sweating the whole time because they knew if Carson called them over to sit on the couch, they were making it. And I, and, I, and I think that was kind of messed up. Like, Johnny, is he's just a talk show host. Why does he get to decide on who's great and who isn't? I agree. I, I agree. That creates, um, it's competitive imbalance, first of all, when you have it set up like that. You have one gatekeeper. And, and if you notice, what's the fallout of that? Well, you didn't see a lot of women. No, and Joan Rivers got completely screwed over. When Completely. it came to being able to host that show because she was a woman. That's right. So when you only have the one gatekeeper, it creates a real, a real problem. Um, you have to, you have to toe the line. You have to do all the right things, meet all, say all the right things, meet all the right people. Um, and you, you know, I don't think it leaves a lot of wiggle room for even uh, taking risks in your creativity because it's one audience, right? And it's one gatekeeper. And now we have the luxury of, uh, you know, if you're a certain kind of comic, you have you can find an audience on one platform. If you're if you're, a, a, you know, a, another kind of comic, there's another platform for you. There's other gatekeepers, you know, you call them gatekeepers, whatever you want to call them. But there's other places for you to go to get your craft out there and get exposure for your craft. You don't have to just answer to this one mono theistic, uh, you know, comedy god that Carson yeah. was back in the day. Uh, the, the benefit of that was you knew the path, like you knew what you had to do. Now, you know, now there's so many paths that it can kind of create choice paralysis for some of us as artists. We don't even know where to begin because we don't know. Do I start a podcast? Do I start a YouTube channel? Do I just get funny on Twitter? Do I write a book, an ebook? Do I do stand up and shoot the videos and put it on YouTube? What do I do? Do I try and get on TV? Do I try and get in films? Do I try and just do YouTube videos, shoot videos, sketch videos with my friends? Do I try and get on SNL? Back in the day with Carson, you knew as a comedian, that's all you had to do was get on that show. So the path was clear. 
And so that saved a lot of time of searching and, and, being, and, and certainly saved a lot of confusion. Now we have a, a, a different kind of problem, but I'll take this problem. I think this is a better problem. Yeah, I mean, choice is better. Uh, For sure. It, 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 it really is. Now you bring up SNL and there's a couple of things I want to talk about uh, with that. Um, uh, Pete Davidson. That, and, and he was at UCF playing maybe a couple of years ago. Well, hell, that, that's, that's the funny thing about time. You think it's only a couple of years, and then when you think about it, you're like, holy crap, it was like seven years ago. And it just makes you, it's like, it kind of freaks me out sometimes when I, when I think of stuff, and I'm like, oh, that was only a couple of, holy crap, that was like seven or eight years ago. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's like that in all of life, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, but Pete, but Pete Davison went off on all the UCF students uh, during one of his shows at the college because he was pissed that people were filming him with yeah. their phone. And, and he was just basically like, fuck you. You know, you guys are losers. You paid all this money and you're not even like enjoying it because you're filming me, you pieces of shit. And, and, and I was like, I, I looked at it two different ways. I can see why he was angry, but like, that is just people getting your content out there more and more. How do you feel about people filming during a, a, a set? Uh, I guess it depends on what I'm doing that night. Uh, because if I'm just working on newer material, it's you don't uh, want that out there, right? Yeah, it's not, it needs to stay in the oven a little longer. Uh, so you gotta I rise. you got to proof those jokes. Correct, correct. So I prefer not to, I, I prefer not to be shot on, on video uh, if that's the circumstance. Um, that's me pers personally. And I, I would. Yeah, no, I, I didn't mean to like put you in a, in, a, in a spot or anything. I just, I wanted to get your, your opinion on that. I mean, I'm not judging either way. Like, is that up to the clubs or is that something that the comedians like uh, put in their writer or whatever? Like, I don't want people filming during the show. Well, there's levels of this. I mean, on the one hand, uh, you have Dave Chappelle requiring everybody put their phone in a locked bag. Yeah, I've heard that. Up upon entering. So there's that that's going on for sure. Uh, some clubs are enforcing it. Please don't. Please don't shoot video. Uh, and, and that's up to the club. All clubs are, are different. And then, of course, like anything else, and this is what this is another aspect of stand up that's difficult is um, we, in addition to being the creators of the content, the, the, the performers, our own bookers, uh, you know, we're, we, you know, the comedian is does everything to get, you know, at least on the way up before you have everybody doing everything for you, you know, and, and you can get to the point where people are even writing your jokes for you. If you would like to have that as a career. Is that cheating though? Is that cheating? Like, I, I mean, is that something that goes on a lot in comedy? Because everybody remembers the uh, Seth Rogen, uh, Adam Sandler one, funny people. I think that was the name of it. He hired him to write jokes. Is that sure. something that goes on a lot? Uh, it's, not to my knowledge that it goes on a lot. And the ones that I hear about are comics that are very successful, that are doing movies and whatnot. And they don't, they're in have a position, the time. they don't have the time to develop material. So they're, they're hiring joke writers for themselves or they're hiring people to just punch up the, the jokes that they, they have themselves or that they're working on. And I, those people, I understand where they're coming from. They're extremely busy. Uh, and this is, you know, and they want to continue to do stand-up, but, you know, maybe they don't have the, the time to do it, but they want to have that, that, that income stream continue. For me, even if I was at that level, I, I still wouldn't hire joke writers because for me, the thrill is figuring it out myself. I, I, I kind of like it. A joke, jokes are like Rubik's Cubes for me. You know, I want to try and, I want to try and figure them out myself. They're like puzzles. You know, I have an idea. I want to convey this idea. I want the crowd to see it the way I see it, which I see it. I see it funny. Oftentimes because it's are, your own words, correct, though? I mean, yeah, it's I my, mean the joke sure. is going to be better because it's your own words. Yeah. And 
for goodness, it's my own words, of course. Also, and the idea is is mine, and and so uh, and and I can't really. Everybody's different, but for me, I I can't be not truthful on stage. It makes yeah. me feel it makes me feel a certain way. I, I feel inauthentic, and I feel a bit uh, phony, and and it, it I, feels contrived to me. And I I don't even want to do it if it's like that to me. That's not fun. That's not why I got into comedy. I got into comedy because it tickles me to get people to laugh at my story or my point of view or my opinion or my gripe that tickles me. It's fun for me. And, and so if I'm telling somebody else's story or, or sharing someone else's opinion or words, that doesn't really do it for me. Yeah. Now, I don't know, like we, we talked about you drinking and stuff, but, and I could be way off basis, but like is, um, could being on stage, and writing that joke, seeing it from beginning to end, you're almost kind of like a parent of that joke, right? Like you saw it all the way through, you created it, you That's birthed right. it, you put it out there for people. Uh, is it almost like a high being on stage when you tell that joke for the first time and you get that reaction, you get that laugh? Oh, uh, right. and, and it's kind of like, you know what? God damn it. This is amazing. It is do do comedians feel that at all? Uh, I can only speak for myself, but uh, yes, of course. And 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 to your earlier point, when you mentioned uh, it's like we're birthing these things, there, there, there is the phrase in my in my art in in, in this craft. Uh, we do we have referred to our jokes as our babies. We do you will you will occasionally hear a comedian say these you know these are my babies. And and another phrase that has come out of that is. We say sometimes you have to kill your babies. Sometimes you have to kill jokes that just don't seem to be working. Uh, oh, you got yeah. so abortion. There's abortion in comedy. There, there is abortion. It's late term abortion too. So that's uh <laughs> Oh, the Republicans yeah. would be so mad at you right yeah. now. That that yeah, late term stuff. They're they're not gonna be having that. The Supreme no. Court of jokes is gonna stop you one day from doing I, I, that. You're gonna you're gonna have to tell shitty jokes if you like it or not. I'm going to have to keep them. I'm going to have to follow through with them. And, and, and then I'm going to have to raise these shitty jokes. And, uh, <laughs> and, and you know, <laughs> some of these shitty jokes don't need to be raised. They're terrible jokes. No one, no one's going to be pleased with these jokes. Yeah, it, they're it, a drain on society. They're, they're going to be sure. horrible people. They're going to be horrible people uh, growing up. These jokes are. They're going to be a drain on society. They're going to be on welfare. And you know what? Uh, uh, shitty jokes breathe. Other shitty jokes because 100%. they're going out and and having sex with other shitty jokes. <laughs> they are, they are. And really quickly, I want to answer the second part of your thing because you okay. you, you hit something that to me is everything. And uh, so for me, the most thrilling part about standup is when I do try a new joke and it works. All the work I put in, and I got it to a point where it's really worked. In that first time, that it really works well. That's the moment that I chase again and again for me. I, I can't speak for all comics, but for me, that is it right there. That's it. I don't even like, uh, I, I don't even, I, I like it even more than if I did a, a joke that crushes and gets a, an applause break that I've done a bunch of times in a room of hundreds of people, like a huge packed room and it's a hot crowd. I still like it. I'll take a, a smaller crowd even a smaller laugh, but the joke is fresh and it was new. Yes. And I'll take that moment over the other moment because to me, that is so thrilling. Oh, it's like, oh, I did it. Oh, yes. The thing I've been trying to do, I got it to work. And I feel a real sense of accomplishment. And at the same time, I feel that sense of accomplishment. There's the rush of that, that feeling of laughter that I got the first time I said it. So together, like this, it's like this synergy of feeling that I just, it's so hard to duplicate. You can only duplicate it in that moment of a new joke working for me, for me. And that's why to me, it's the best feeling. So this is something I'm curious about, okay? Because I've worked on radio. I, I, I have over 20 years of radio experience. Uh, you know, thanks to this pandemic, I've had to go to the podcast route, but um how many, I'm sure when you go to cities, you try to, or you get booked on radio shows. Um, have there ever, because listen, 
just like comedy, I'm sure, has their hacks, like you said. Radio has their hacks. Uh, have there ever been those radio shows where you're, you've been on those and you're kind of like, ooh, I may need to reevaluate what I'm doing with my life. How the hell did I end up on this radio show? Oh, I haven't had to do morning radio. Um, oh, you have not. Well, I, consider I yourself lucky. Consider been, yourself lucky. I know, you know, the general consensus of it uh, among comics is that uh, it's it's a chore because you got to get up really early. Uh, but uh, I, I once heard Rafi May uh, talk about. Oh, the, and I was so sad. Do you yeah. want to know? I made a thousand dollars one day. One morning, because Ralphie was on the radio show. And a lot of people don't realize this. When Ralphie was alive, that guy was a just straight baller when it came to the the amount of money he had. Um, oh, yeah. He made a lot of money. It's, it's He was a, such a hustler. And, and his story about morning radio comes from that philosophy. And he, he said that... He encouraged comics to make the most of those things. Normally, we you know we look at it like a like a real pain in the ass. But he said, if you treat it a certain way, you you will sell tickets. If you're funny on that morning spot, he he would even sell CDs off just yeah. off that just off that morning spot of him being funny. He'd sell tickets and CDs, and he looked at it like an opportunity to sell himself, and he took full advantage of it. And that guy was was a damn hustler, man. That guy did yeah. so well. What a grinder. What a true road warrior and a grinder and a hustler, man. Yeah, dude. Uh, he, uh, he. I mean, $500, you know those tasers that the cops shoot out with the flying fish hook? Not the ones that they have to touch you, but the ones that shoot out the hook uh-huh. and they, they stick in your body and you got to ride it out. See, a lot of people don't realize this. When you get hit by those, you are in for an eight-second ride if you like it or not. Um, and I got shot because I was kind of, you know, you got to do dumb stuff when you're trying to make it in radio. And I was kind of the stunt guy, you know, I did the jackass type stuff and Ralphie paid $500. He laid five $100 bills on the table. And when you see, when you're a star, I don't mean to compare myself to a starving comedian, but when you get that five $100 bills and I'm not even talking about like old $100 bills. When there are those big face $100 bills that are all fancy looking, you're like, hell yeah, shoot me immediately. And <laughs> Ralphie threw it down. I was like, yep, come on, shoot me. I love that you got to have that experience with Ralphie before he passed away. Um, that's just sort of a testament to the kind of guy he was. Very, He was very generous, very generous guy. Yeah. He was very generous to new comics as well, up and coming comics. And if he and, and that's the sole reason why I know this story is because he would take the time to to encourage younger comics and to school them and to and to give them tips and, and advice and knowledge and whatnot. And I, I learned a lot from um, from him. So you did you didn't you know what you opened up for him before? I did not. I did not. Um, okay. I had been but on the same stage. As him. Uh, I heard stories, but I also there's a three hour YouTube video of Ralphie May giving advice to comics at the comedy store. He's sitting down. He does about, uh, it's about two hour lecture himself. And then he takes questions for about an hour. So it's like other, a TED other talk comedians. for comedians. It's like it a is, TED talk for a comedian. It is. It is. And it's one of the best things a young comic could watch. It, watch. it is just filled with helpful advice and information. He's so generous in this video. I can't speak enough about him. I, it, I didn't know much about him. You know, I had seen him alive a couple of times in L.A., uh, but, you know, after seeing that, I just thought the world of him for doing that. You know, he was just a really, really great human being and a generous man. Talking about opening up for people, I, you know, while I was researching and, and prepping for this interview, um, and maybe it was a, a false story, but uh, I, I read your story about how Pauly Shore was being a dick, and I've had run-ins with Paulie Shore and we actually kicked him out of the studio. We just told him to pound sand probably in, in the first five minutes of the interview. Oh, is that so? I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was here in Orlando on Real Radio 104.1 and um, his his uh, handler was like, Paulie will only talk about this, 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 and this. 
and he won't talk about this and this, this. And you know what? When you tell a radio guy, especially a big one in the market, that he's not allowed to ask something, you bet your ass that's going to be the first thing that that person is going to ask. And and Polly got pissed and he wouldn't want to talk about it. And the host said, get the fuck out. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, I'd imagine this is uh, not the first time that's happened. Uh, you know, you hear anecdotes floating around about this, this individual. I don't know him personally. Um, you know, I, I wrote a blog post about it, uh, explaining what had happened with him and I. And, you know, I, I can see where he's coming from in his point of view as well. He's just trying to protect himself and, and what he has. And but was it really because your acts were comparable in your mind? Were your acts comparable? Or was he just pissed that you were picking up the chick over him? In my opinion, it was it had everything to do with the chick, in my opinion. Uh, there was a girl, for your listeners who don't know the this, this story, um, and it's a petty little thing that I probably shouldn't even write about. I'm glad really, you wrote it, though, man. Really? I'm glad. Okay. I'm glad you wrote it. It does not make you petty at all. It really does not, because you will not be the first person or the last person to say something bad about a comedian that gets a big head. I mean, yeah. let's be honest. I mean, Polly was very popular at one time, but I hate these. Like, here, I'll give you an example of stuff that old actors, uh, I think his name was Wynn. The guy that played uh, Norm George, on George, George Went. Yes. Yeah. He, he did, came into yeah. the studio one time and he says, I will not talk about Cheers. And I'm like, well, then why the fuck are you even coming on the show right now? Maybe he you just know? wanted to say, maybe he just wanted to say the bears over and over yeah. again. Yeah. But <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? Like, yeah. if I ever made it big, I'm never, ever going to be ashamed of what got me to the dance. Yeah, you know, um, I, I'm not that person either. Um, I don't know if it's because we're different or, or does stardom or celebrityhood turn everybody into that or turn some people into that. Now, now imagine you're uh, Michael Richards, right? Who, <laughs> yeah, well, you who had a, yeah. The N-word uh, yeah. rant that he had. Correct, correct. Now, if you're Michael Richards and you're going on, you're going to be interviewed. Now you might demand that, Hey, look at, I'm not going to talk about that night that I lost my mind now. Uh, and I and say you own it. I say you own it. I, and go I agree. I agree. I would, and I would own it as well. That's, that's our approach, but perhaps he doesn't want to do that. And he, and he, he's like, I just don't want to talk about that. I can kind of forgive that and see where he's coming. But if he was to say, Hey, I don't want to talk about Seinfeld at all. You know, that to me, that's just ridiculous. I, I mean, I, you know, you, you got to be proud of where you came from. And, 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 you know, if anybody wants you at all, just be grateful that they want you, whatever it's for, you know, the, we're talking about guys that are on the way out, right? We're talking about George yes. Went, George Went, who cares, right? Who even knows who he is? Polly Shore, who cares, right? If anybody wants you for something, uh, you know, just be grateful and embrace that and be cool. That's just my Damn. opinion. Now, one of the things I want to talk to you about before I let you go, I, I know that I've had you on for quite a while, and I do apologize. Oh, um, but um, I want to talk about your appearance. You, you had a part in the unbreakable Kimmy Smith. Um, now, how did you get a chance to meet Ellie Kemper at all? Because I loved her from the office. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh I actually knew Ellie Kemper before that because we had the oh, same. Oh, you did! Holy crap! You are the man. Are <laughs> well, the man. not the man, but uh, you know, in New York as an actor, a working actor for a while, I was, and her and I shared the same uh, agent. We had the same commercial agent, so I would see her, and all the actors would come into the agency, so I would see her often in the in the agency, and and we would have discussions like uh, in any of the other actors. I even saw her perform at UCB as an improv actor before. Um, I wasn't there specifically to see her. I was there to see a friend, but she was also on the show. She was very successful improv actor at UCB in New York City. She was very gifted and hilarious. And you could see she really had something. So I, I knew her before that. And then, uh, you know, when I booked the show there, I just, um, I, I had, I was in one episode, I played a character, a Boston character. And uh, and so I got to, I got to uh, hang out with, 
with her a bit as well on set and be uh, nothing crazy. Uh, the the mind blowing uh, event of that time for me was like meeting Tina Fey and working with Tina Fey. Oh no way! God damn yeah, it, yeah. man! That is yeah, yeah. Tina like, Fey. Let, listen, she does not. I mean, she does get the credit, but I think if she was a man, she would get way more credit for her writing ability. Yeah, can you um, imagine? Yeah, absolutely. She and, and by the way, she was the EP, the executive producer on that show. She ran the show. She ran everybody, everybody uh uh totally like answered to her from top to bottom. All decisions were made by her, all direction, direct you know, the writing, the acting, everything was to her, to her, and everybody just would look at her, wait for her approval before we even moved on. She was the and, cap- captain of that and, ship, man. Yeah, and 30 Rock, 30 Rock was brilliant. She did a lot of writing on that. Um, uh, Mean Girls, I know that's going to make me sound like a complete douche, but uh, Mean Girls, yeah, that was her baby, and that was one of the popular, mo- most popular movies for a couple of years there. Yeah, it was. And, I mean, we all know what she did on SNL. She was head writer, head writer. Yeah, and she absolutely killed it as um, God. It slipped up my mind now uh, with old age. But when she played the governor of Alaska, Sarah, Sarah Palin. Yeah, Sarah Palin. Yeah. Like she nailed that character. Yeah, she's tremendous. She's absolutely tremendous. And all she right, before was... we go, before we go, I I, I will get to uh, uh, promoting everything. But uh, I've been going back and and watching a lot of this comedian's. Material. Um, and the guy was funny, but uh, I think he was more of a spoken word type guy that was funny. But what are your thoughts on George Carlin? Oh, George. Well, I love George. Um, and a lot of it is because of how much he critiqued our culture and made fun of the culture. I just love that so much. He's a bit of an anarchist, right? Would you agree? Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and, and I like that. It, it's not all funny uh, because it's hard to make that stuff funny, but he had a gift of doing it uh, most of the time. Um, and, and that's, if you've ever tried to do political jokes uh, or to... Uh, you're going to and alienate your audience some way or the other, right? It's I mean, is hard. that why comedians it's stay just away hard. from politics? It's just hard to come off as preachy doing what, uh, you know, talking about the things that he talked about. You know, it's hard to come up. It's hard to not come off preachy. You have to do something with it. You have to turn it into a scene. You have to, you have to dress it up in some sort of performance art so that it's palatable. And we, we, we take it as entertainment instead of uh, an actual pissed off critique of culture you know and and he was great at that and so what what you do at the same time when you when you're able to do what he did was you're really holding a mirror up he's really holding a mirror up to our behavior um and showing us the folly of that behavior and i don't think anyone's done it so well uh lenny bruce comes to mind as well as someone who did that uh, on that level uh really critiquing culture you know on just like a master, like a master. And it's not for everybody. I, I, I think George Carlin is for intellectuals, uh, for the yeah. most part, uh, in, in general, his, his act. And so it's really not, not for everybody. I mean, although he will, you know, he does, he will go on and on about a fart, and, but he'll do it. <laughs> but he'll, I mean, that's, that's like the building block of comedy. There's always going to be those like things that are always going to show up that are going to yeah. be timeless and people's comedic sure. uh, jokes. But if you um, notice the way that George Carlin will do a fart joke was he'll take it to such a cerebral level. Like he'll go through, <laughs> you know, he'll give you a breakdown of, you know, that, that whole joke he does about that. You must release a test fart. You know, I mean, that's very, <laughs> you, you know, before you fart, you should release a test fart. I mean, he just, and then he turns it into like a military thing, like you're releasing a test bomb or a test shot. Like he would, he would use those to make those connections. Of, yes, as, yes, as part of the game. Now, and I promise this is the last question because you're like, oh God, I've been talking to this. No, not at all. I'm, no, I'm enjoying it. Now, how much of it? You know, people talk about uh, Jerry Seinfeld being the best, like wordsmith, 
like, how important is it? Like, you know, I've heard him explain things. You can leave one mm. word out of a setup of the joke, sure. and it's not going to be as funny as it would. Like, how much detail goes into a joke in your world when it comes to writing stuff? And, like, do you, like, tell the joke? We spoke about this earlier. Do you tell the joke for the first time? And you're like, oh, it could be better. What can I do? Is is there that much detail when it comes to to jokes? For for me, uh, yeah, yeah, I like to get that much detail, and I don't. I think for me, it's because my jokes are so long. Like I don't do short jokes. I like to take a subject and then punch it around for four or five minutes. Wait, so I'll, so what you're saying is you'll have a topic, but you'll have correct. a couple of you know, like small uh, ammunition type jokes, and yeah. then it builds up to the fucking uh, the fat boy or little man bombs that we dropped on the fan. Yeah, I try to. I try to do that. Yes, absolutely. And and so I, I like to play with the subject for a while, and, and and therefore it takes a long time for me to develop a, a joke because it's not just the it's not just three or four lines here. It's not just a minute long bit. It's it's a six minute long bit. It's a five minute long, just that one joke. Uh, so for me, there's a lot of work that, that goes into it. And because my jokes are a little longer, they're kind of story-ish, storytelling-ish. They're, they're ranty a, a bit. It's a lot of talking. It's a longer joke. Uh, my economy of words doesn't have to be as strict as somebody who tells short jokes, such as a Mitch Hedberg. But yeah, Mitch, Mitch, though, like, man, I've gotten really high smoking some weed and (laughs) I will laugh my ass off. Oh, you should. To Mitch Hedberg stuff. But then, like, you have to be in the right mind to enjoy a Mitch Hedberg set. In my opinion, I'm not saying anything bad. The guy was amazingly brilliant. Sure, sure. I mean, one would argue that, you know, being high for Mitch Hedberg is the best or only way to, to take Mitch Hedberg in. And, and if your listeners have, haven't heard of Mitch Hedberg uh, before, he, he was like a stoner. Imagine a stoner delivering like one liners. Like, <laughs> it was like and, the modern day. Um, it was the modern day. Who was the guy that you uh, see now? See talking about weed. I can't remember everything. Rodney Dangerfield almost. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, and, and it's brilliant stuff, man. Uh, Mitch Hedberg, and you can find a lot of his stuff on YouTube, and I, I recommend checking out Mitch Hedberg. There's really no comic like him since then, and I don't think even until then, he's kind of a, he really is a, a, a strange beast there. Uh, very unique, very unique but guy. But can you get, can you get to, as a comedian, can you get too smart for the audience using big words and stuff like that? Yes. I, it, in my opinion, it's, it's helpful to uh, kind of take that down a bit. Um, you know, the, you know, in order to get a joke, you need to understand all the information in the setup so that you can understand the punchline. It's all about delivering some information. Same thing with a movie. Okay. You, you gotta, you, you want to, you want your audience to know what the hell is going on. And uh, there's a whole range of ways to do that. You could treat the audience like a child. Or you could treat the audience like someone who already know has known you for years and years and years. I think the proper thing to do is to find a happy medium of not insulting the audience, but still like not insulting them by telling them every little detail like they're a kid. But you know, but also don't treat them like they're the they're all you know they have PhDs from Stanford here. You know, um, and so I it, because it's it's important that they understand information. If you're gonna use huge words. Just, just understand that you're gonna lose people. That could be your thing, though. If you've ever watched Dennis Miller, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they, I mean, he was horrible yes. because when he was on, not, not his standup was horrible, but that's why he did not work yes. on Monday Night Football. Correct. So, so like he used. This is a guy that uses all this vocabulary. No one can understand the guy. So now his standup. You can imagine what that was like. It's very. It was like the content was like that. It was. He's, he wasn't for everybody. You could not understand everything, and uh, you know, obviously, he made a career out of it. Uh, we could argue whether it was a success or not. Um, but I mean, 
I, I assume he's a very intelligent guy. He's probably, it's probably something he considered when he was coming up, you know, but he found, he, he said, this is who I am. This is my voice. He found his voice and he did find a niche and he did have a career with that. So could he have had a wider audience if he dumbed down what he was saying? Sure. Would he, would he have compromised his artistic integrity by not being who he, who he wanted to be on stage? and talking the way he wanted to talk, or maybe, maybe that's even the way he really talks in real life. Maybe he felt that's a compromise to not talk the way he talks. Yeah. But could life. you, could you imagine though, like if Dennis Miller was a big talker when having sex with women, like, I think, <laughs> I think it would be like one of those like big turnoffs, like Dennis Miller talking about and describing every single stroke he was taking um yeah that <laughs> yeah. that would it would kind of be a big turnoff if i was some chick in my opinion yeah yeah uh and so you know comedy is about you know shared dictionaries at the end of the day right and this is why comedy is, is sometimes a struggle uh to trans to, to, to be transposed to other languages um because well it's very objectionable though you know like like it, it, not everybody's gonna like what you do so you want to go for that largest audience, in my opinion. I think it behooves you to, to go for as big of an audience as you can without compromising your integrity. Your, your integrity. And without, without, if you can step off stage and not feel like you were being ridiculous up there or clownish, um, and you could, you could sleep at night, in other words, do, doing yeah. what you do, then I think you should go for the, the largest audience as, as possible and, and, and still kind of be yourself if you can. I mean, it's... Being truthful on stage is, you know, we're in a time now because of reality TV. The audiences is are so, really, they're so that's savvy. All fake. That's all fake now, though. Like, I, uh, I don't some know. of it was is reality, sure. Was reality TV ever real, though, at one oh, point? Maybe at one point in the beginning it was. Certainly it was, it was definitely co-opted by producers who had uh, other, other nefarious intentions to you know get the shows to be more dramatic than they actually truthfully were uh, so maybe reality tv isn't the right uh, thing to refer to we are all watching legitimate real life moments happen because there's video cameras everywhere now we're watching yep. people we're watching Die. karen yeah, moments I mean, you, can, you can go to website right? and see all the violence in the world you want to see now correct all the violence in the world all of, and not even all the violence, all the great moments are also on video right now. We're, we're seeing real life, truthful moments now every day on video, right in our smartphones. And I think audiences are now able to better sniff out inauthentic, inauthentic moments. And I think that trickles down to the craft of stand-up comedy. And I think you do yourself a disservice as a stand-up comic if you can't be as authentic and truthful as possible on stage, in my opinion. Um, I yeah. think because of where things have gone. And I think as an artist, you should try to strive for that anyways. But even now more than ever, if you don't, if you don't try to be truthful on stage, I think you could run up in, in front of some problems, man, where it's audiences yeah. will turn, for, will, they'll turn their tone. They will not embrace you because you will be seen as phony. Oh, dude, I, I agree with you here. I'll give you an example and it's going to sound really lame, but I've worked in media pretty much half or more of my life. And now I've seen the way things go and I think everything is set up or it's fake. And I have a hard time enjoying videos that I see. But on TikTok, there is this chick I came across that she calls herself the Grim Queefer. Okay. So <laughs> no, she, no, she, no. She, she queefs to like tunes on TikTok. And I'm like, I'm like, I want to believe that it's real, but I'm also in the back of my mind, I'm like, this this chick is playing the sound over the video, and she's not really queefing. Uh, do you do you think she's queefing or not? You, you you're worried. I that she's want not to in my life. Yeah. I want to believe that it's real. Like I, if I could do it all over again, I want to believe that Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa hit all those home runs back in the day. <laughs> steroid free i want to know that this chick is weeping on her own with no enhancement <laughs> i want to believe it too now that you've described this and i kind of want to see it for myself because this sounds no you uh, don't amazing. see anything you're only seeing her face and and that's only why seeing I'm your face. oh yeah 
okay, you're not actually okay. well, seeing her actual, you know, vagina. Well, that, you're only that, seeing there's her. a lot of mm-hmm. there's a lot of so trust there on 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 us. We have to trust that she's be she's authentic, and I, yeah, you know, without seeing, I don't know how. Man, I don't, I, you know, this, that's a tough one. I can't believe, I just like to know that this is, this exists, this TikTok person. Like, <laughs> yeah. And the like name alone, the, the, the name alone is a big selling point for me. The Grim Queeper. I mean, <laughs> come on. It's amazing. Is she holding a Skype as she does this as well? I'm just wondering. <laughs> Dude, if he was holding a sickle like that, oh yeah, yeah, I would I would be like, holy crap, this this is the best TikTok. Give her a billion uh, followers right now. Wow, I mean it's unbelievable. Talk about talk about any niche you can imagine. You know, whatever you can imagine is going on out there, somebody's doing it. Somebody yeah. is doing it. I, I just <laughs> now love Jonesy, let people know how they can find you uh online and keep up with everything you're doing. Okay, well, uh, just let me let me go on to this little rant for a second. The only okay, thing that fine. I'm really doing, only really thing I'm really doing these days is my podcast, which is called Weird AF News, um, and you can listen to it on any of your podcast players. I do five day a week weird news stories from around the world, and on Fridays I only do weird news from the state of Florida. It's called Florida Fridays. It's the most popular episode, and it gets twice as many downloads as any of the other episodes because people are crazy about degenerate news that comes out of Florida. And I if you ask, need if you need a correspondent in Florida, <laughs> you're my I man. am your I am your man because I've talked about this. Uh, there is a great documentarist that lives down in South Florida, and he has a great thing. Florida is a sunny place for shady people to hide. Oh, I love it. And I wanted to ask you, because I know you're you're such an expert in this, in your opinion, because I've thought about this, and many of my listeners has asked, that listen to Weird AF News have asked me, why is Florida so crazy? Why is it so weird? It, what What is it about Florida, okay, in, well, in your opinion? Please just tell me. I really okay. need to know. All right. There's a couple of reasons, okay? For one, you see all the crazy things happening, because we pretty much have great weather year-round. Okay, so people are gonna be outside, and the more that people are outside, the more dumb shit that they're gonna be doing. Now, okay. Now, also, also, what's going on is that we are a a just cesspool of all types of different people because, like I said, Florida is a a a sunny place for shady people to hide. If you look at all the serial killers. They, I mean, Eileen Wernus, I think, was from Florida. But for the most part, all the serial killers come to Florida to be able to hide. Yeah, well, it's also, uh, Florida is a debtor's haven. So uh, yes. you, you'll get a lot of deadbeat dads that go down there to escape child support and whatnot. Because no you can go state down income there. tax. No state, no state income, income tax. tax. And I think it's also a gateway for drugs that come in from like the Caribbean oh, and whatnot. The oxys, the oxycodone got bigger than than all of Kentucky. Correct. People used correct. to drive down from Kentucky to get the hillbilly heroin. Um, and then you also got to think about all the people like, you know, people think, oh, you know, South Florida is the most redneck because that's more southern. No, the more south you get, the less southern that it actually is, if that makes sense. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, okay. So it, it's a big... Oh, and you also got to remember, uh, we are also a uh, stand-your-ground state where we have a lot of people just shooting people for, like, cutting them off. Did you see the... Uh, did you talk about this? The guy on the 417, this is right here in Orlando, a guy brandished a gun during a road rage incident as they're driving down the road the guy pulls out his nine milli and just shoots through his front windshield at the guy. Yes, yes, shot through his own windshield. I, I, do, I did read that story. Yes, absolutely. It's crazy. So you have to be careful here in the state of Florida about getting angry or upset. You just have to let it go because you could be murdered at any second for a bad decision. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like it to me. <laughs> I mean, it is the wild, wild west. It it really, really is. I mean, um, I don't know. I don't know why. And you know what? I'm kind of proud of that whole Florida man genre. I'm like, hell yeah, our state is known for something. Uh, 
oh, and I'm sure for some reason we will mess up this election like we did back in 2000. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm curious to see how that turns out as, as well. I really, really am. <laughs> I got to tell you, Jonesy, like this has been one of the best interviews that I've done in a while because I'm looking at it right now. We have been talking for over an hour. And that just proves to me that, you know what, this interview was pretty goddamn good. Oh, I'm so pleased that I'm so glad. And I hope that uh, that your listeners find it uh, equally entertaining as well. Oh, they are. Uh, And you know what? And you know what? Who cares? We know what's funny, not them. No, I'm just being (laughs) a dick there. But uh, but what I'm saying is once again, tell people how they can find the podcast. Oh, just any on any of your podcast players, you can do a search Weird AF News and it'll come up. Or you can go to weirdafnews.com and you can find the podcast there. I'm also on Instagram at Funny Jones. It's like Funny Bones, but with a J. And uh, I always put my shows up. So the moment I start doing stand-up comedy shows again, I'll put that up there. It'll probably be next year. <laughs> All right, Jonesy, listen, I want to do this again if you're up to it. Like, um... uh, Absolutely. Because I had a really, really great time. I think we uh, do some good stuff together. So I'm always around if you ever need anything at all, okay? Oh, that's nice of you, man. I appreciate that very, very much. That's very generous of you. All right, man. Have a wonderful night. You too, buddy. Take care.